Hey, everyone. Welcome to Hollywood Sports Mom. Thanks for joining. This, this is an interesting time of year for a lot of people, for me. Um, as we know, it comes once a year, and, and I know for me it stirs up a whole lot of emotions, um, some of them sadness, some of them anger, sometimes hope, hopelessness, and sometimes even grat gratitude and, and gratefulness. It was 21 years ago that I was living in New York City, and I was in a cab on my way to work at ESPN. And I remember I was on 2nd Avenue with the cabbie, and at the time they had these little screens, like digital screens in their cabs that dispatch could communicate with the cabbie. And it's, I remember the cabbie saying, hey, look, and he pointed at it, and it said, a small plane has just hit the World Trade Center, uh, avoid the area. And I was like, wow. And it kind of really like struck me. And, and he was kind of, you know, struck and a little bit confused. But I got out of my cab. I went into, into our building on Third Avenue. And everything was business as usual, you know, just scurrying people around uh, in this big, you know, big uh, New York City building. And I remember getting in the elevator and saying to my coworker, AJ, I said, did you hear a plane hit the World Trade Center, a small plane? And he's like, no. I'm like, okay. So like nobody was, you know, nobody was really realizing what had happened yet. And I went upstairs and um, again, it was just utter confusion. Like people were starting to turn on CNN or, or, their, or their news networks at the time. And I will say that from the moment I sat down in my office, I remember every hour, maybe even every, every couple minutes of that day, um, you know, I was confused because I said, even if it was a small plane, and that's just the news story here. People still died, you know, like people on the airplane died and people work in that building. So I couldn't understand why the world wasn't completely, you know, freaking out about this just yet. But then slowly but surely they started to. Um, and of course, the first news came about that it was a bigger plane, a bigger plane that we had thought. Um, and then a couple of minutes later, I, I vividly remember my intern, Cheryl, running into my office going, Carol, another plane hit, another plane hit. And I said, Cheryl, you're watching the footage again of the first plane. And the sheer look of terror on her face as she screamed, no, no, there's another one. Let me know that she was right. And, and I, I was wrong. And I was watching CNN. I still remember the anchor was Judy Woodruff, who was so stoic. And the words that kind of set me off to a, a whole different place was when Judy Woodruff said, there's a large fire burning at the Pentagon and we don't know what it is. And I remember me and my team just looking at each other in my office. And it was as if there was this silent acknowledgement of we're being attacked and we could die today. Like we're in the epicenter of where it's happening. Outside of our eighth floor windows, you could see, you know, the streets starting to flood with panicked people. And our building was, you know, just a few blocks from the United Nations, which was already being evacuated. So I immediately called up to ESPN headquarters in Bristol, Connecticut. It's about two, Bristol is about two hours north of New York City. It's a very leafy, beautiful area. And our head of administration there said, stay put. And I got to tell you that I replied in a panic mode. 
Um, and I said, you can effing fire me. I am not staying put. I'm taking my team and we are leaving Midtown Manhattan. We'll go to the Upper West Side where I have an apartment and where there's no landmarks. And I had some terse back and forths with this executive. I didn't care if I was fired. And sometimes, you know, I, I look back, I understand why they wanted us to stay put. It was probably administratively a smart thing to say. But when you're in it and living it, it's different. And you have to go with your human instinct. And I remember him finally saying, fine, go to your Upper West Side apartment. But please, before you leave, email, to, email us a list of the people who are going with you. And I knew that was, you know, just encased. Um, we went outside onto Third Avenue, which was just in complete disarray with people panicking and, and sirens heading all over. And when we walked outside, um, there was about four of us. And my closest friend at that time, Amanda, she looked at me and she said, you know, I don't, I don't want to go to the Upper West Side. I live downtown and I want to go to my apartment in the West Village. And it was a moment I can't even explain as the si sirens were swirling around us. And she and I just stood on this corner looking at each other and gave each other a hug because we didn't know who was making the right decision, who was making a wrong decision. And we didn't know if we'd ever see each other again. So the three of us left, started walking uptown. We went on to Sixth Avenue because to me, Sixth Avenue, you know, has Radio City and a couple other things, but there's not any big, it's not like Times Square or, you know, any really big landmarks. And that's what we were trying to avoid because that's all we kept hearing about. And as we walked up Sixth Avenue, there's a lot of financial corporate headquarters there. The Merrill Lynch's, maybe the Goldman Sachs, you know, place, Chase Bank, places like that. The whole time we were walking, I had my Sony Walkman on at the time because it was 2001. And... I was listening to 1010 Wins News, which is a local New York station. And to this day, that 1010 Wins News jingle, I remember it, and it would probably trigger me to tears if I ever heard it again, um, because they kept just frantically saying what was happening minute by minute. But as we walked up Sixth Avenue past all these financial institutions, all of the people who worked there were out on the steps, frantically trying to get on their phones to call people. And they were all looking straight down Sixth Avenue, which you could pretty much see a straight shot all the way to downtown. And they were hysterical because those were their financial colleagues working for the same company or working for similar companies all down there. And they were frantically trying to get in touch with them. And as we scurried up Sixth Avenue in the midst of all this, I remember their sudden screams, screams of, I don't even know how to explain it, just the worst screams you could ever hear come out of a human, um, screaming all together. And as we glanced back, as we walked, uh, we're running up Sixth Avenue, we saw the North Tower falling. And you couldn't see the exact North Tower, but it was so big that you just saw the plumes of smoke billowing down as all of these people screamed because they knew their colleagues, their coworkers, maybe even their loved ones, that, that they knew they weren't going home that night. So all the while, my dad was on a business trip in Germany and he was in some foreign German airport, you know, watching a TV screen there, hearing and just seeing footage of New York City under attack. My poor dad was sitting there bawling, wondering if his daughter was still alive. 
They didn't have as much information there at the time. And as we ran up through Columbus Circle, getting towards the Upper West Side, my sister finally got through to me on my cell phone. And she's like, listen, mom and I, you know, you need to leave Manhattan. You need to leave right away. And but like every of my fellow New Yorkers, I said, no, I'm not leaving. Like if the city goes down, I'm going down with her. Like that's how it works. And I stayed. And I stayed awake for probably nearly a week after 9-11. You're running on pure adrenaline and you're sitting there lying in bed every night just waiting for the next hit so that you're ready. And about days three and four, this smell overcame Manhattan. It was a horrific smell. And I can't even define it, but if you think about it, it's over 200 floors of iron and building and um, insulation, whatever else goes into making a building um, burning. And it covered all of, all of New York City. I remember a morning after 9-11, one of the mornings after, going down to my coffee shop on 79th and um, seeing a firefighter coming back from his shift. He was just covered head to toe in soot. And respectfully, pedestrians started, you know, like a, applauding him. And I remember him looking up and saying, don't clap, man. This isn't good. And the expression on his face just told you he saw things that would change him forever. I went to the firehouse nonstop on the Upper West Side. It was the only thing I could think to do to help, you know, to help bring food and to just kind of be there. It, it actually became a gathering spot for a lot of people. And on the topic of firefighters, about, I don't know, maybe 10 days later, my mom had asked me to attend the memorial of a well-known, um, I believe it was a fire captain, um, Terry Hatton, who um, was lost uh, when the buildings fell. And my mom happened to be the assistant to his devastated uncle. And she said, can you go to his memorial? And I said, of course. So on that day, probably about 10 days later, I left my apartment and started walking towards St. Patrick's Cathedral, which is in Midtown. And I remember going through parts of Central Park and seeing firefighters scurrying to the same memorial, only they had jackets on and they all said where they were from. And it was every place. It was Oregon. It was Texas. It was Ohio. They all came and they all were there. We were one united country more than ever. And I arrived at St. Patrick's Cathedral and I was standing on the front steps. Um, and there out on um, Fifth Avenue was his grieving widow, his family. And then Governor um, Pataki showed up, Mayor Giuliani, fire, um, you know, the fire chief of New York, uh, Von Essen, and Bernard Carrick, who was in charge of the NYPD. So all the dignitaries lined up. The family was there. His casket came. And I had this moment, I don't know what made me do it, where I just kind of looked up to the sky. And there, on every rooftop surrounding St. Patrick's Cathedral, which is, you know, NBC and Rockefeller Center, I saw snipers leaning down with their guns pointed at us. And in that moment, I knew our city and our country would never be, it would never be the same again. And right then and there, the adrenaline subsided and the floodgates opened.
And I sobbed. Finally, after all these days of not sobbing and no sleep, I cried and I didn't just cry, it was floodgates of crying. And that sobbing sometimes continues to this day, not all the time, but sometimes. There are some years when 9-11 comes up and I totally avoid it. I just pretend it didn't happen. I pretend it's not actually that day. I keep myself busy. Um, and there are other days where, and I can't even explain it, there are other anniversaries of 9-11 where I go into this deep, dark, terrible rabbit hole and, and I, I listen. I listen to all of it again, and I watch the over 100 people who jumped to their deaths and chose to jump to their deaths over burning to death in a building with no escape. And I listen to the 911 calls of fathers frantically fighting with 911 operators saying, get us out of here. We've got kids to get home to. And I listen to grandmothers saying the same thing. And, and my head ends up really messed up. And my husband comes home, and I remember one year he said, why do you do this to yourself? And I said, I don't know. It doesn't happen every year, but I do it because I have to do it because I think I never, ever want to forget what that day was and the meaning of it. So about a month after 9-11 there in New York, I started to feel like I was going crazy. Um, like I, I couldn't remember anything. I couldn't remember my lifelong best friend Nikki's phone number. I called her all the time and I'm like, I, I don't even know like the area code. I thought of my friend Joey and, and Mary and I said, did they have a baby? And I thought they had a baby, but I couldn't remember if they had a baby. Then I thought maybe I dreamt the whole thing of them having a baby. Started to feel like I was losing my mind. And then this letter arrived and it turned out this letter arrived to every single person, every single resident of New York City. And it was from the American Red Cross. And it just was such a kind letter. It just said, listen, you live in New York City. You have been through a tragedy. You have been through severe trauma. And we want to describe and we want to explain to you what PTSD is. And they said, when you suffer through something like this and you're in the midst of it, your short-term memory goes away because your long-term memory takes over because that's your human survival skills. So don't be concerned if you forget your parents' anniversary. Don't be concerned if you forget your friend's birthday. This is all normal. Your body's doing exactly what it's supposed to do. And I'll never forget getting that letter because it was such a sense of relief and it was just such a kind gesture, not asking for a donation, just saying, hey, everyone in New York, we're going to be okay. So thank you, American Red Cross. But whether it's five years or it's 25 years, it, it always feels like yesterday to those of us who were there and to those who lost loved ones, to those who worked in that rescue and recovery, and to those like me who, and my friends who, who were running away while witnessing every sound, every sight, and every smell of that day, that terrible day. So as these years go by, I mean, on behalf of those 2,983 lives that were lost and their families and their loved ones, please, please educate your children, especially your youngest children, on what happened. Never, never allow them to forget as things tend to happen as years go by. And on this day, 
Never, ever forget the men and women who run into a hail of bullets while the rest of us pretty much run away. Never forget the men and women who run into burning buildings while the rest, the good majority of us are running out. And don't forget our military. All right now, away from their own family and friends. I mean, some of them are sleeping in a claustrophobic, tiny, tiny little vessel out under the ocean somewhere, okay? Away from their friends and family, keeping guard so that you could go to your kid's soccer game today and you can go out to dinner with your friends and family. And both you and I can go to sleep safe and sound without a worry in the world. They're out there. I've talked to some of them. Ballistic missiles at the ready, if needed, keeping us safe. And sometimes we just forget they're out there. And we can't. <laughs> and as you fight, if it's your fight for open borders, I want you to remember, and this isn't a political statement, this is a factual statement. I want you to remember that the lax and lenient border policies, visa policies, and airport policies at that time or what allowed those monsters to sneak in and catch us off guard. So take off your damn shoes at TSA and stop complaining about it as if it's your worst day ever, because you don't know what your worst day ever could be. Our enemies, they look for our weakness. They wait for us to be weak. And look at us. Are we weak now? Think about that. Because I've always believed in united we stand, divided we fall. And that day I learned the hard way that evil does exist. It does. So on this weekend and always, God bless my beloved forever home, New York City, the most special city in this country, maybe even in the world. God bless Washington, D.C all those who were there and all those who still work there. And God bless the greatest country in the world, the one that you and I are so darn lucky to live in. Thank you, and I'll see you next time.